For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. What is going on? It is the Ethos Clippers podcast coming at you here on a Thursday as Clippers basketball is getting closer and closer. Well, Summer League basketball is here, but not quite the NBA season. Draft is concluded. Free agency is almost near the conclusion. There's just a couple guys left to sign. And I've got Joey Lynn of Sports Illustrated as my guest Today, before we get to Joey, folks, there's no such thing as a fancy offseason, only the pre-draft season. Here at Sports Ethos, the pre-draft season has already begun. Our expert analysis are churning out important lessons learned and draft analysis on incoming rookies, so you can get a jump on your prep, and we'll have incredible free agency and summer league coverage as well. But only if you're part of our premium member team. Head to sportsethos.com now and click on the premium tab to grab a fancy pass today. Seriously, cook yourself one extra lunch per month. Because it's only five ninety nine. See you there. Not going to waste any time. We'll go straight to our guest, Joey Lynn. You see him all over the place. You now see him writing at Sports Illustrated. Joey's got himself a YouTube page. He's got himself an Instagram page where he puts together content for all of you to watch and listen to and get smarter. Joey, welcome back to the pod. Thanks for having me back on, man. It's been a little while, but I appreciate you reaching out. And I'm glad that now that I'm done with school, I had a little bit more time. And what better way to fill it than talking Clippers basketball, right? Yeah, and I've got to say, I, I tried getting Joey on probably about 10 different times in uh, <laughs> last year or so. But the man is busy. He just graduated college. So big congratulations to you, Joey. So you between that Thank you. and juggling your job. And, of course, now you've got the gig with Sports Illustrated where you're covering Clippers basketball. The man is busy, and so to get Joey on the pod was something I've been trying to do, and I finally was able to get some time locked down to get him on. We're going to talk Clippers basketball, and Joey, I want to start things off with a topic that's not as interesting for general NBA folks, but it's certainly one that Clippers fans care about, and that is the free agency of guys that are not the biggest of names. Nico Batum, obviously, is a guy that rejuvenated his career with the Clippers. He is back. And also a guy in Amir Coffey is back. And he just signed yesterday. It became official. Three years, $11 million. I want to get your take on Amir because he's a fascinating guy um, on Clippers Twitter. Because I remember when he went through that stretch where he was incredible, there were people saying, hey, he's better than Terrence Mann. Like, he needs to get minutes over T-Man, bench T-Man. It's got to be Coffey. Look at what he can do. He can run the offense. It's what we've been looking for. A guy that's a wing that can shoot the ball, can facilitate, and then all of a sudden, Terrence picked up his game towards the end of the season, and everyone's like, all right, well, yeah, clearly Terrence Mann's a better player than Amir Coffey, as Coffey kind of went back down to earth. I want to get your take on Amir and where you see him with this Clippers team, because three years, $11 million is a very team-friendly deal. It's about $4 million per year. 
but also a guy, Joey, that realistically is probably the 11th or 12th man on their roster. So where do you see him fitting with this Clippers team, and what do you think of the re-signing? Well, when you talk about like what you said at the beginning, these moves that aren't necessarily big moves for people outside of the Clippers fan base, these are big moves for the Clippers themselves because when, or the Clippers themselves because when you came into the offseason, Lawrence Frank and, and pretty much everyone around the team was pretty adamant that their primary focus this offseason was retaining their own free agents. And Amir Coffey was one of those. Nicholas Batum was arguably the most important of those. So the fact that they were able to do that with Amir Coffey on a team-friendly deal is fantastic because, like you said, while on a nightly basis, if the team is fully healthy, he might not be needed for a significant amount of minutes, you saw what he was able to provide in a much larger role than anybody, including Amir himself, ever anticipated he'd be asked to fill. So because of that, having him around, which is, it goes into a little bit of another conversation with some of the people feeling as if the Clippers need to make a trade because they have, in a sense, too much depth. I disagree with that because when you have a guy like Amir Coffey, who is your 11th, 12th, 13th man, who proved last season in the event where injuries deplete your roster, that he can step up and be on some nights a first option. That is a massive luxury, especially when you're talking about a Clippers team that, I mean, if you look at their veterans, don't exactly have the the cleanest history of, of, of health. So you have guys that likely are going to need nights off and maybe you're going to get banged up here and there and Lord willing don't have a significant injury, but things happen to where you do need to tap into your depth. And a big reason why the Clippers were able to get into the play-in last year, got the eight seed. It still upsets me. They were like six games better than uh, New Orleans, but didn't make it in. It was because of guys like Amir Coffey. And if you don't have that kind of depth, a few injuries can really send your te- uh, your your season into a tailspin pretty quick. So a guy like Amir Coffey on that deal, I love it. And to look at Amir's averages from last year, nine points per game. He averaged three rebounds per contest and just under two assists per game with also a half a steal per contest. He shot 38% from three, which is actually pretty good given how much he did actually end up playing at points during the season. Average about 23 minutes per contest. 69 games played, 30 starts. And those 30 starts tell you how depleted the the Clippers were last year. And you brought up the depth thing, and it's interesting because we're going to go a little bit later on into our ideal starting five and talk about the bench a little bit. But what's crazy here with Amir Coffey is that it's a guy that's got a ton of talent, and you look at him and you say, well, he certainly is a guy that should be getting minutes. But at the same time, he's coming on a Clippers team where he may not get the minutes. So my only concern here, Joey, is that with the amount of players the Clippers have, could this be a year that kind of stunts Amir's growth? Because I think that's certainly a possibility that's on the table. I mean, perhaps, but like I said, I think there's going to be several nights throughout the course of the year, which is why I'm I'm so big on the team maintaining their depth where they're going to use different guys. I think that's going to be by design. Ty Lue's really good at balancing that type of stuff, and whether it's uh, a guy sitting out on the last half of a back-to-back or you know the team just feels as if they're playing you know the Magic or a team like that where they can play Kawhi and PG under 30 minutes and, and tap into some other guys, there's going to be minutes available if things even just go as planned for guys like Amir, and I think it's going to come through, and we talked about it, uh, the 2020-21 season when Kawhi and PG were 
healthy throughout the course of the year and not exactly doing the the load management that they were doing their first year with the Clippers, but they were doing some sort of like in-game load management where if the Clippers were playing an inferior opponent, you try to keep Kawhi and PG under 30 minutes and that opens minutes up for some other guys. So while ideally he's not going to have the role that he had last year, because like you said, uh, I believe he started 30 of his 69 contests and actually in those games, he was fantastic. Like his starts was really where he he stood out because in his starts, he averaged uh, 13 points per game, four rebounds per game, just under three assists per game, shot 48% from the field and 43 from downtown. So that's really when he like separated himself as, okay, this guy can play and deserves a real NBA contract. So that definitely gives some legitimacy to your concern that if he's not getting extended minutes, he may have a little bit of stunted growth. But at the end of the day, it's a good problem to have because if you have a guy who's that good that deserves minutes, but you have a team that's so loaded that he may not get minutes, it's definitely a good problem to have. And when you go back to what I said a little bit ago about the Clippers having uh, some injury-prone veterans on their team, having a guy like Amir around is is certainly a, a good a good thing to have. So whether or not he gets the type of minutes that we would like to see him get every night, I do think there's going to be a place for him uh, on this team and, and at times in the rotation. And credit to Amir. He was on a two-way for the first three years of his career, and so now he's getting some money now. He's getting three years, $11 million. That's a lot of money that will set him up. I'm sure that even if he doesn't play, he's still got those $11 million coming in over the next three years, and he's going to play. Like you said, injuries do happen, and so that does lead us into the Clippers roster. Um, before we do the ideal starting five, let's talk about this actual roster itself because if you look at the players that the Clippers currently have and you look at the point guard position with Wall and you look at Reggie Jackson, you look at PG, Kawhi, Batum, Zoo, Morris, Rocco, Powell, Mann, Kennard, Coffee, a backup center, you would assume that they would get just like they did last year where they had a camp battle and ended up being Harnstein that ended up getting the um, Bernard. And, of course, he got paid and went to New York. That's a really deep team. And the one thing that I feel like some people are forgetting during this free agency when they look at trades that are happening. And, I mean, for example, you look at Minnesota and the deal that happened there, bringing Rudy Gobert to Minnesota. And people forget that the Clippers played both those guys off the floor in Towns and Gobert in back-to-back playoffs. And... When these deals happen, I understand it's about getting wins during the regular season. But the way I look at this now, Joey, and it's a good thing now with the Clippers, is you're looking at it, how's the team going to look in the postseason? How does this team line up in the postseason? And that's why the backup center conversation is not a huge one for me because, frankly, the backup center is probably not going to play in the postseason because the Clippers are only going to play eight guys most likely, maybe a ninth. And that's why the whole Luke Kennard conversation comes in. I know you're very high on Luke, and I am as well as a player. What he's done, um, finally getting healthy and getting a chance to show what he's got when he shoots 45% from three, it's a guy that's deadly, and any team would be lucky to have him. That being said, Luke Kennard's probably not a part of your best eight guys. It just depends on the matchup. So I want to talk about the depth of this team, Joey. It's certainly a good thing. And when you look at Kawhi and you look at PG, two guys – that have been hurt by injuries. Morris is not getting any younger. Batum is not getting any younger. You have no idea what you're going to get from John Wall. Of course, Powell got hurt last year as well. And, and I'm with you in terms of the whole consolidating thing. I, I was very much on board with doing a trade, perhaps. If it lands you a guy like Kevin Durant, for example, and we'll talk about him later on the podcast, 
then sure, if the, if the numbers make sense, the players make sense, go ahead and do it. But this is a team that could potentially have four or five guys that you're going to want to rest or, frankly, could get hurt easily. So depth is a good thing. But you look at the roster, man. I don't think there's a deeper team in the league right now. What are your thoughts on what the Clippers have done? Because they've got a lot of guys making $10 million or more right now, and some of those guys may not even play. The most in the league, actually. I think they now with the uh, the re-signing of Batum, they do have the most guys in the league making at least $10 million a year. So, yeah, it's a, a good problem to have. Like I continue to say, I really do believe in my stance that everybody's going to be needed at one point or another, whether it's by design or whether it's because things happen. And as we've seen, like if you're a Clippers fan at this point, and I've said it on Twitter, expecting full health throughout the course of a season is just not realistic at this point. It's just not like, obviously we hope to avoid the major injuries and Lord willing that happens next season, but guys are going to get banged up. We have so many veterans that we're relying on that haven't exactly been the most healthy players and the most available players over the last several seasons. So if you either by design want to rest those guys or if they just happen to need it or if they get a little bit banged up, you're going to need key players that, like we talked about, Amir, Luke, may not be playing every night but have the ability, have proven the ability to step up and help you win ball games. That's how you secure a top seed. That's how you if you really get hit hard by injuries like they did last year, still make a top eight seed. So um, talking about Luke specifically, you brought him up. I mean, everybody knows where I stand on Luke. I'm a, I'm a big Luke Kennard fan. And, and a big reason why is because when Blake got dealt to Detroit, obviously that's my favorite player. Uh, I was watching every single Pistons game. And I remember how much hate Luke used to get because he was drafted right before Donovan Mitchell. And of course he's not Donovan Mitchell will never be Donovan Mitchell. But I remember feeling kind of bad for the hate that he was getting because I was watching. I was like, man, this guy's legit. Like, no, he's not Donovan Mitchell. But if we remove that element of the conversation from Luke Kennard, like this is a very good NBA player. So I just kind of took a liking to him because, well, at that time, he was one of the only Blake's teammates that actually hit shots. So um, I liked him for that reason as well. But I do think he has a bigger role on this team than some people realize, especially when you talk about having uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back. No, he's not going to start alongside those guys, but I do think he's going to be used alongside them, um, maybe in fourth quarters or in certain situations that, I mean, man, you see certain teams like Toronto, uh, San Antonio does it a lot where they load up on Kawhi or PG and they really force them to move the basketball. So when you're doing that, I think having a guy like Luke out there is going to be a little bit more important than having a guy like Terrence out there. And I'm not saying that's going to happen every night, but I do think there are matchups when Luke Kennard is going to be more important than maybe a guy like Terrence Mann. And there's certainly going to be nights where what you need uh, is definitely going to be more fit for Terrence Mann's skill set than Luke Kennard. So there are, and that's another point that I bring up when people talk about like needing a trade because Luke's not going to play. Like, dude, different teams require different matchups. Like, you can't just think that every single matchup is going to be the same. Look at the playoffs. Look at what Golden State just did. They changed their rotation almost every single series on their way to a championship. You had GP2 starting the first couple of games in Memphis. You had Otto Porter Jr. in and out of the starting lineup. You had Poole in and out of the starting lineup. You had Looney in and out of the starting lineup. Like, they switched things up almost every single series, and it worked well for them. And we know that Ty Lue has both, one, the ability, and two, the willingness 
to switch things around when necessary. So having that versatility on your roster is huge. So like you said, unless it's for Kevin Durant or I don't really want to get into Kyrie because I, I think it's pretty known now that like the Lakers are the only team that that want him. Um, but if it's for a Kevin Durant or, or a player of that caliber, yes, of course, you risk gutting some depth to bring in a guy that's that talented. But unless it's for something like that, I really do believe that at some point throughout the regular season, for sure. But even in the playoffs, every single player on this roster is going to have a big role to play. And it's a good point you raise about playing the matchup and having the guys where you're able to play matchup. You can look at baseball where you have a left-handed batter that is better suited to a right-handed pitcher than he is against a left-handed pitcher. And that's why you have a platoon, for example, in the outfield um, in certain teams where a guy just, just happens to hit lefties better or happens to hit righties better. It's very similar. Just take it over to the game of basketball where – there may be a team that gives you more space. And so you might want a guy like Luke Kennard, or you may need some juice to get you to the hoop. And that's where you go with a guy like Terrence Mann. So I agree with you that having the ability with this team to play matchups is great. It's just about what's going to be really important this year, Joey, more than any other season is the Clippers chemistry on and off the court has to be really good because if it's not, this can blow up in a hurry on you because there are going to be guys that are not going to play night to night that played a ton last year. And so you could very well see a night where Nico Batum doesn't play or you could see a night where Rocco only plays five to ten minutes or Mann doesn't play or Kennard doesn't play. You're going to need guys to buy in this year more than any other year. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. But it's just not a concern of mine because I've seen the way that these guys operate and just the culture that is in place. And I think Ty Lue does a really good job of managing that. And I remember uh, when Paul George got back, there was this huge conversation of who's going to be the odd man out because they had played essentially to that point all season long with no Kawhi Leonard and no Paul George. But Paul George came back and then shortly thereafter, uh, Norman Powell came back. So there was a conversation just circulating uh, just Clippers Twitter and other Clippers spaces where people were asking, okay, who's going to be the odd man out? Is it going to be Luke? Is it going to be Amir? Like, who's it going to be? It ended up being Amir, a guy who had started 30 games up until that point and had been fantastic in those starts. He went from starting playing 30 plus minutes a night to not getting off the bench because he was the odd man out. And we asked Ty about it, and I, I actually asked him the question. I said, um, Ty, you know, with, with uh, PG coming back, Amir's kind of been the odd man out. Like, have there been any conversations? And, like, before I got my question out, he stopped me, and he said, absolutely. He said, I talked to him about it. I said, and I don't remember exactly what his answer was, but he said, you know, he gets it. And, and we, we sat down, and we had a long conversation. So I trust Ty Lu to, to manage that well. Um, and I think if you just look up, up and down the roster, there's not any ego problems with this Clippers team. You don't have any guys that have a documented history of getting upset because they, they didn't get minutes. And you've seen Zoo go from being, you know, a 30, 35 minute a night guy to sometimes they play him like 12 minutes just because the matchup warrants that. So it's like you've seen this to an extent already where just because of the depth that they have and because of how how malleable Ty Lue has proven to be. Certain guys are going to go from being the guy on one night to maybe not even playing on another. So 
it is definitely something to to keep an eye on. But in, in terms of being a concern, it's just not one for me because I, I trust Ty Lue and and I trust the, the the guys on this roster. I mean, so many of them have been so vocal about what they want at this point in this in their career, and it's to win. Like they've gotten paid. The Clippers re-sign Nico on a multi-year deal, Amir on a multi-year deal. Like all these guys, pretty much are. I think there's only one. I think Reggie might be like the only expiring you could correct me on that but I, th- I think they pretty much have most of their guys locked up so it's not even a situation where like some guy needs to show out you know for a contract or something like that so I, I don't really have that big of a concern although I do agree it's something to keep an eye on yeah I think you're right um in terms of the contract situation we still don't know the details of some of the contracts that are getting signed like for example I don't think we know John Wall's contract um details we don't know whether um it's a it, do you do we know? Because I don't think we do. Whether it's like the second year, yeah, player option. It hasn't been announced yet, so I think you kind of have that number floating around, like two years, six and a half. But we don't know uh, if that second year is like fully guaranteed or if it's a team option, player option. Because the, honestly, I don't know really why they haven't announced it yet, but it hasn't been officially announced yet. Yeah, we don't know whether it's a player option or team option. That's obviously important. So it's possible if it's a player option, then all of a sudden you have your two point guards that I, I think are probably off the books after this year, but everybody else is going to be on the books, which gives you continuity. And like you said, these guys got paid. And it makes you a lot happier when you've got money than if, for example, you're in a situation where you're coming up to a contract year and you're not getting minutes and you're going to get unhappy. And, for example, look at Reggie Jackson. He's been on the Clippers for a couple of years now, and he's been thrilled with what he has done with his team. And I got to say, that's not going to be a guy that's going to be upset if he's not playing a ton of minutes because he knows where he is age-wise in his career. So it makes a lot of sense, same thing with John Wall, where he's just trying to prove that he's still got it. So I think there's a way to figure it out. And while I bring up Reggie Jackson and John Wall, I think it's a good time to transition to a, a topic I want to hit, and that's in our, our ideal starting five. There's still a ways to go, Joey. We still don't know what's going to happen with Clippers possibly making a trade. We don't know who the Clippers are going to end up signing as their last guy, most likely. But I, I want to discuss ideal starting five. I'll give you mine, and I'll talk about it briefly, and then I want to get yours, because I think the biggest thing right now that's being discussed is the point guard position, and that is, will John Wall or Reggie Jackson start? And I had a good conversation with Law Murray of The Athletic about this, and I thought, you know what? Reggie Jackson probably starts because he has been there for a couple of years, and it's more of a loyalty thing. John Wall hasn't played in a few years. You don't know what he has. And then Law brought up a good point, and that was that John Wall hasn't come off the bench in his career. He's a guy that's used to starting. Reggie Jackson is someone that was slated to come off the bench until Pat Beverly got hurt, until Eric Bledsoe um, got traded. And so all of a sudden, that spot opened up for Reggie Jackson to play a ton of minutes. And, of course, you had – the point guard position that was up in the air. Rondo came in. It's just, it was a mess. But now you've got a guy in John Wall who is very good. I mean, there's nothing that says he's not going to be good. And Reggie Jackson, someone that's older, he's a veteran presence. He brings some calmness, I think, to the second unit. So I think John Wall does end up starting over Reggie Jackson. And we'll get your take on that in a second. I think obviously booking PG and Kawhi, it's a little frightening that Kawhi still is not gone to the point where he's playing five on five which is crazy to think that we were sitting here counting whether he was going to come back for the playoffs so you've got wall pg Kawhi, zoo's going to start 
And it brings up the other uh, position that was kind of back and forth last year between Nico and Marcus Morris. And you can go back and forth on this. Uh, Marcus Morris obviously has started a bit more than Nico Batum. I think it makes sense for Batum to come off the bench, but I'm going to put Batum in my ideal starting five because I just like to see what he does defensively. I think he makes sense with that unit. Um, Morris gives you some scoring off the bench with a guy like Reggie Jackson and Norman Powell. So I think my ideal starting five would be Wall, PG, Kawhi, Batum, and Zoo. What about you? Yeah, so I actually wrote about the uh, the point guard. They're calling it like a competition right now, uh, which I guess some fans are being kind of weird about. It's like it's not this it's not this weird thing. Like I honestly, I don't even think the term competition or, or battle, whatever they're calling it, is necessarily even the right connotation, or at least people are taking it to be. Because when you think about those types of things, I think the team is just going to use this time to evaluate what the best fit is. So it's not going to be like who outclassed the other in training camp is going to get the spot like it's just who felt better with that group and and in my opinion uh i'm gonna have a little bit different take than you um i wrote about it pretty extensively yesterday but uh while wall has started 601 of his 613 career games only come off the bench 12 times as opposed to reggie who has been a starter most of his career but has come off the bench 237 career times so significantly more often than john wall um, I just think that Wall's skill set complements the bench better and Reggie's skill set complements the starting group better. And I'll kind of explain what I mean by that because when you look at what John Wall provides at this point in his career, while he is a respectable catch-and-shoot guy, 38% on his catch-and-shoot threes the last time that he played, his skill set at this point, it's downhill penetration, it's driving kick, it's facilitation, it's all of that. It's getting downhill and it's finding shooters. When he's playing with that second group, he's going to be surrounded with guys like Luke Kennard, Marcus Morris, or Nicholas Batum, as we just talked about, Robert Covington, maybe Norman Powell. He's going to be surrounded by three to four shooters, likely, the entire time that he's with that bench group, which I think utilizes his skill set a little bit better. Because when you're playing alongside Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, as Reggie Jackson has actually proven to do really well, oftentimes you're going to be an off-ball catch-and-shoot guy. And maybe an opportunistic playmaker when, you know, the ball finds you, maybe a hard close, and now you got to go make a play. That's something John Wall could do really well. But, I mean, who's really going to be hard closing on him uh, at this point? Probably probably not a lot of people. So, um, Reggie Jackson in the 2020-2021 season, he shot 45.3% on his catch-and-shoot threes throughout the entire course of the year. And it went to a ridiculous 46% clip in the playoffs, as we all know. That guy could not miss in the 2021 postseason. Of course, those numbers all went down last year, which I think was a product of him just being gassed from having to play as often as he was, um, as big of a role as he had to play with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being out. So because of that, I think Reggie's skill set has already proven to be very effective next to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. He doesn't need the ball in his hands because of his catch-and-shoot ability. And when you put him in the second group, while I – don't disagree that he could definitely bring some veteran presence to that unit and kind of facilitate things. I just believe that's that's where John Wall thrives. You put shooters around him and you allow him to go make plays and not really have to worry about scoring. Of course, he still can. But if you surround him with the shooting that the Clippers bench projects to have, I think that is going to be a more optimal role for him 
than playing alongside Kawhi Leonard and PG, which of course he he will do at times. Um, but I, I, I when just strictly talking about the starting lineup, I think that's a better fit for Reggie. Although I will acknowledge the fact, and I did talk about this in my article as well, that I mean it it, it does matter the fact that John Wall's only come off the bench twelve times in his career, and Reggie's done it uh, almost two hundred and fifty times. So that that is something to consider. I don't know how big of a factor that is. I think only Wall and Reggie themselves will just know where they feel most comfortable. But if it is a situation where Wall just simply feels more comfortable in the starting group, I don't think it's the end of the world, although I do believe he fits a little bit better with the bench. I believe both of these guys will have different types of roles where they're going to be playing with different guys and things are going to be moving around. So you're going to have to be a little bit versatile in that way. So that's my take on the point guard position. Um, We kind of all agree that Kawhi and PG are going to be slated into the starting lineup, of course, with obviously Zoo at the five. And I agree with you as well. Nico definitely needs to be that fifth guy in in, in the four spot there. He gives you just way more than Marcus Morris. He shoots almost as good. Uh, He moves the ball way more. He defends way better. um, Rebounds better. Like He just does everything better than than Marcus. And I think that's what you need. You need kind of that glue guy in that starting group. Marcus, his catch and shoot ability is obviously great, um, and that's going to be big with that second group. And his ability to to get a bucket with his back to the basket is also big, which, you know, in that second group, if things start to slow down, you need a guy to go get you a bucket in the mid post. He can do that uh, better than Nico. So I think that also makes him a better fit for the second group. So that's my take. I got I got Reggie, uh, PG, Kawhi, Nico, and Zoo. But uh, I also I want to find a way to get Norm Powell in there as well. I do yeah. think there might be nights where you go like John Wall, Norm Powell, PG, Kawhi, Zoo, you know what I mean? Or maybe in the playoffs you do something crazy like, you know, Wall, Powell, PG, Kawhi, Nico, or Morris, or Rocco in that fifth spot. And it's obviously not something that's going to be sustainable over the course of a long season. But, hey, throughout the course of the playoffs, you're going to be playing different teams. Maybe you're playing in Minnesota and you want to punish them and you say, you know what, we're going to go John Wall, Norm Powell, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Robert Covington or Nicholas Batum. We are just going to absolutely expose you with our speed and our shooting. Like, I am so excited for the possibilities that this team has. And I'm so excited that they have Ty Lu at the helm because he is willing to do this. He is willing to experiment. He is willing to to try different things. And and I always I trust in the decisions that he makes. So man, I'm excited. I I, I don't think there's really a wrong answer to that question. And of course, it's worth noting that it doesn't really matter at the end of the day who starts, who's closing games uh, when they are close. And so that is certainly something that, sure, it's fun discussing who's going to start, but obviously who closes is important. And that's also matchup dependent. And it really depends what you need. And I want to go a little bit more on Wall versus Reggie Jackson because you brought up a lot of good points and, and they make a lot of sense. I'm curious to see how Wall fits in with PG and Kawhi. And I mentioned chemistry earlier and how the chemistry is between those three guys, because you know, Reggie Jackson and PG are super tight and you know that that has worked previously. So I do wonder if perhaps Ty Lue does start with Reggie Jackson and he can see how it goes. But the one thing is to counter off what I just said, you know, it works with Reggie Jackson So you're probably better off having him come off the bench to start, see if John Wall works. And if John Wall works, great. If he doesn't, Reggie Jackson knows how to go from backup to starter. I'm not sure 
it works the other way around where John Wall can go from backup to starter and make that work in that transition because he's not used to being backup. So going from backup to starter, it seems like feels like it'd be a weird transition for him. Do you get what I'm, what I'm saying there? Yeah, absolutely. Which is one of the points that I kind of made up when I, or that I, that I made when I, I talked about John Wall having only come off the bench 12 times in his career, that that is something to consider. I don't think, any of us really know how big of a factor that is for him or how big of a factor that is for the team. That's something we're going to kind of have to wait and see, but that's why I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are maybe making it that they're going to have this. And I'm putting my fingers in quotes competition in training camp, because I really just think that that means the team is using this time to evaluate what's best as they should. So uh, we'll see what ends up happening, but I I trust the process and I think the team uh, is, is doing the right thing. Nobody should get it because of seniority. Nobody should get it because of their name. Like they should get it because it's the best fit. And that's what Ty is going to figure out during training camp. And we'll have our answer uh, here, you know, not, not, not that far down the line. Yeah. Before you know it, I'm glad you brought up that Norm Powell thing because Norm Powell is a damn good basketball player and is someone that would be starting on probably 85, 90% of the teams in the NBA. And Rocco's another guy that is certainly used to starting. I'm curious where you kind of lie with the bench, and you, uh, I want to kind of go off the importance of each guy. I know it depends matchup to matchup, but overall player in of itself, just the player itself, I, I think you and I would agree that Powell is probably the number six player. You look at the keep the starters away because, I mean, you, you don't know how you're going to rank those guys, and I don't want to mix them in with this. But the guys that we're discussing, like so for example, let's go off what you said with Reggie Jackson starting. And then PG, Kawhi, Batum, and Zoo. Would you say that Powell is the next best player on this roster and most important player on this roster? Absolutely, for several different reasons. And and one is just kind of what I talked about a little bit ago, why I would like to maybe try to get him in the starting lineup on some nights, is that he is a legitimate third option. I mean, there is no doubt about that. That guy is a 20-point-per-game scorer if you give him the minutes to do that. And when he got to the Clippers, he looked every bit as good as, if not better, as you hope that he would. So I think if he comes off the bench, like just just give him the sixth man of the year award because he's going to be playing enough minutes to where he's probably going to be averaging close to 20. Um, he's going to be closing games on a lot of nights. Um, so if for whatever reason the Clippers decide to bring him off the bench, he is right at the top of my list of six man of the year candidates before the season even begins, because we saw last year, it didn't matter. He started a little bit. He came off the bench a little bit. It didn't matter. He came in and he scored. And I think part of why I'm not entirely opposed to John Wall starting and Reggie Jackson being with the bench group, although I I do kind of lean the other way around is because Norman Powell, while he is a great shooter, great scorer, his downhill ability and his driving kick ability really surprised me when he came to the Clippers. Of course, he spent a lot of time in the Eastern Conference with the Raptors, so we didn't get to see him a whole lot. And I think he was hurt a little bit uh, with Portland, so we didn't get to see him a whole lot. But that was something that really surprised me. It was a pleasant surprise. Seeing the downhill juice that he had, he made some incredible passes, man, where he got downhill. I don't know how he found some of the guys on the perimeter that he found. So if, if you pair him with Reggie Jackson, I think it gives you some of that downhill creation that you may be missing when you go from wall to Reggie. Uh, so that's another thing that really excites me with him. So I definitely uh, agree with what you're saying that if he doesn't start, he's your sixth man for sure. 
And it's funny because you look at last year's roster and we were talking about possibly T-Man or Kennard being a sixth-man option, where now you upgrade that to Norm Powell. It tells you where your roster is. My, my number seven player is going to be Rocco. Um, I think Rocco's right behind Norm. You can make a, a case for several players here, whether it's Wall, whether it's Morris. Um, and, and I'm curious, do you agree with Rocco? Because I, I think people... Some people don't understand how important he is and what he can do offensively and defensively. This guy gets his hand on absolutely everything on the defensive end. He can switch with pretty much every position, and he can shoot the ball pretty well as well. So I think Broco's number two right behind Norm Powell. Absolutely, because with the same point that I brought up when we were talking about Batum versus Morris, where I said that Batum shoots almost as good as Morris, but he does almost everything else better. That's how I feel about Robert Covington, but to an even greater degree, because while I don't expect him to shoot at the clip that he shot at with the Clippers, because I think he he had ridiculous shooting numbers. He was like leading the league in three-point percentage uh, from the time that the Clippers acquired him to the end of the year. He was like right up there at the top. Um, it, you're going to expect him to knock down probably like 37, 38% of his catch and shoot threes. That's That's where he's been throughout the course of his career. Um, so, but still that's very respectable. And if he, he continues to knock it down at that clip or perhaps even a little bit better, you are absolutely stoked with that. Given everything else that he does on the court, I was so impressed with what he did during that second play in game. He was the reason they got back in that game. And because the Pelicans, the way that they were playing, they were forcing zoo to, to defend in space. And, and zoo's a big guy. I think, for seven footers, he defends in space about as good as you can. But when you're talking about CJ McCollum, you know, Brandon Ingram, guys like that who are so shifty, man, it's tough for a guy like Zoo. So Ty Lu made the decision to go with Rocco, switch everything, and man, he turned that game around. So there are going to be several nights, and I think in the playoffs, more nights than not, where you want to put him in as your five and allow him to just switch and use his best ability which is his defense, and that's something that, man, we saw it on on a crazy degree during his short time with the Clippers last season, and it almost secured them a spot in the playoffs. So I definitely would agree with you. He, he's right up there. You can make the argument that he, he's one of the, I mean, five most important Clippers if, if we're, you know, just ranking them not from starter to bench if we're just talking about up and down the roster. I mean, he is he is important, and it is huge that they got him back. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I think that what he does offensively and defensively is just, it's wild, man. I don't think people appreciate what, how good of a player Robert Covington is. His numbers may not be eye-popping, but what he does on the floor, and there's going to be a possibility that we see him starting at center um, in an NBA Finals game. Like that, that very well could happen, and it shows you how important he is to this roster. I, I think the rest of the group, you can kind of interchange depending on what you need. I mean, John Wall... Marcus Morris, Terrence Mann, Luke Kennard. It kind of depends what you need. But, Joey, let's pretend this is the playoffs. Let's pretend it's the NBA Finals. And your starting lineup is Reggie Jackson, along with PG, Kawhi, Batum, Zoo. And then you've got Rocco and Powell. Who's your number eight guy? Is it John Wall? Is it Marcus Morris? Is it Terrence Mann? Is it Luke Kennard? Who's your number eight guy? And I know it depends on the matchup, but... Get rid of the matchup itself. Who's your number eight guy? Yeah, so I, I it does it does definitely depend on the matchup, and yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to to say that without you know knowing who we're playing. But um, you know, I think John Wall he's definitely gonna play. Like I, I don't think there's gonna be any nights where where John Wall 
So let's do number unless, nine, because obviously, yeah, it's going to be John Wall. Who would be your number nine guy then? Um, so I think we're talking between like what uh, we got Terrence, we got uh, Morris, Luke, Card. Morris. Yeah, it's tough. So I mean, it's the the Morris conversation is difficult, and of course, like we're not even a hundred percent sure if if he's still like safe in terms of trades. Like we, we don't know if the Clippers are going to make a move. Like we had that report way back at the beginning of the summer that they may be shopping him and of course there was the possibility of that being like maybe just speculation because you know it, it kind of made sense so i do think that he is the most expendable of of the group um despite the fact that he gives you a lot and he's given them a lot and, and a lot of what they've needed over the years because they've been deprived of offense and he can go give you that but in an ideal world you don't need that so it's definitely going to be between luke and terrence and that's where I know this doesn't answer the question. I'm sorry, but it is going to come down to matchup because on some nights, and maybe it's not even matchup. Maybe it's just how things are going that night. How the it could be Boston decided to blitz heavy one night on Kawhi, and and then the next night they didn't. So if they're throwing a crazy trap at Kawhi, I think it really helps to have a guy like Luke Kennard out there. But if you know they're not and they're playing a little bit more straight up, then I think that Terrence Mann helps a little bit more. Or whoever's been playing better, so. As I continue to say, it's a good problem to have. But, yeah, I do think Wall is going to play almost every single night. But if it were a situation where it's like Luke, Terrence, Morris, I would definitely anticipate needing more of what Terrence and Luke bring than, than whatever Morris brings because I just think there's, there's guys who do what Morris does already. Yeah, it's going to be an exciting season. The Clippers have so much to throw at you. There's no reason why this team can't finish as a top two, top three team, even with the rest days that are for sure going to come for PG and especially Kawhi. I mean, there, there's no reason why this team can't win a bunch of games and the expectations are going to be sky high. And it's always fun like that because you go into every game thinking you should win. So uh, I'm excited to see what the Clippers have this year. We'll, we'll close it out with one Twitter question and I'm going to butcher this name. So I apologize. It's Cerveno Oko, I believe is how it looks. C-R-V-E-N-O Oko on Twitter. Is there a possibility to get Kevin Durant what are your trade ideas? Need to be something around PG-13, right? Um, I would say disagree um, right away on that last question, that it needs to be around Paul George. I don't think the Clippers would get rid of Paul George for Kevin Durant. Um, I think it's possible that Brooklyn will ask for that, but it just doesn't make sense with what you've um, done with PG and Kawhi, and you basically built this thing around those two guys, and PG is someone that, has bought into the system. He knows the system. I feel like KD is getting older. Um, it just doesn't seem like PG getting traded. I, I know it's crazy. I just don't think the Clippers would do it. Um, I think if you're on the outside looking in, I think you would say, sure, you could trade PG to get KD back. I just don't think they'll do it. I think it would make more sense. Um, we've talked at length about this on all podcasts and on Twitter, is that it's going to be the contracts that we discussed. Morris, Kennard, um, the Clippers don't have a ton of picks, so we'll see what they can do with assets. But maybe you throw in a guy like Terrence Mann um, along with a Marcus Morris to try and keep Brooklyn competitive. Because remember, they don't have their draft picks, so they're going to need to get talent back if they get rid of KD. That's why this whole Westbrook thing makes no sense whatsoever um, for Kyrie, because Kyrie is a better basketball player than Russell Westbrook. And it just does not make sense that Brooklyn would do that deal. Um, unless they get a ton of assets back, which is possible in draft picks. So with Kevin Durant, I think it's a possibility the Clippers could jump into that mix. Um, I do not think that Paul George would be a part of it. I think it would be more likely to see guys like Morris Kennard, 
the outside guys we have discussed, Batum, um, maybe Norm Powell that get thrown into it for KD. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so looking at the question, I think what they were asking is, is not necessarily if the Clippers would include PG, but like if it would require him. And I would say it absolutely would. Like it's a non-starter. The guys that the Clippers have, we spent the podcast talking about how great they are. But if we're if we're keeping it real, like Brooklyn's hanging up the phone if you offer them Norm Powell, Luke Kennard, Marcus Morris, and Nicholas Batum for Kevin Durant. Like it's just this is not going to happen. So Paul George would be required absolutely, but for the same reasons you said, I wouldn't do it. The Clippers wouldn't do it. So, unfortunately, while it would be great to have Paul Schor- or excuse me, Kevin Durant on the Clippers, there is no path to a trade. Yeah. Uh, it would be nice to have Kevin Durant. He's a great basketball player. I think at the end of this, I still think he stays in Brooklyn. Um, it just – unless the Brooklyn gets overwhelmed. None of this has made sense to me from the start. I thought all along those two guys were going to stay because Brooklyn doesn't have their draft picks, and so it makes no sense to blow it up. They're going to need real assets in return and guys that can play and help them win now because they're going to look foolish as hell if they gut their roster. And then all of a sudden, KD comes out with that trade request. We've seen trade requests come out and guys stay on the team. So um, we'll see. It's certainly possible that he goes to Phoenix for a package that includes something like Aiton and McCall Bridges, which make a lo- makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you're, if you're Brooklyn, you'll take those two guys because they'll help you keep on winning. But we'll see. It, it, it Certainly, there's a lot left to go in free agency. We sit here now on July 7th, and we're not playing basketball again for about three and a half months. So it's, it's we got a lot, a lot of time to go, Joey, a lot of time to go. It, it's fun that there's this much time left, but at the same time, it's there's a lot of speculation that kind of gets to be overkill, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, it's kind of frustrating because I do think there's probably some moves on the margins that are uh, that teams are looking to make. But uh, a lot of teams probably have their assets tied up until they uh, either can make a play at Kevin Durant or he goes somewhere else. So it is kind of frustrating that waiting game. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But yeah, on the KD front, the Clippers, uh, unfortunately, don't have the package to make that happen. But I'm all good with it. I like the roster they have. I think they have what it takes. Yeah, I think if you listen to this podcast, uh, you would understand that we love we love this team and the depth is crazy and there's a lot of options at Ty Lue's disposal. So we'll see how it goes. Joey, go ahead, promote yourself. Where can people read you? Where can they can find you? Instagram, YouTube, tell them all. Yeah, man. So obviously I'm on Twitter, uh, Joey Lynn underscore. That's where you're going to get probably the most uh, regular appearances for me. Well, actually, I'll take that back. The most regular appearances are going to probably be on SI because I'm putting stuff out there daily. Um, so just SI Clippers, uh, I got all my stuff on there, putting out multiple pieces every single day. So if you're interested in reading, like, like I said, uh, a lot of the stuff that I mentioned in this podcast is kind of, you know, things that I've touched on in articles. So yeah, you can check me out there. I do, uh, Instagram and YouTube as well under, uh, clips, combos, C L I P S and then combos like conversations, because that's what we do. We break down conversation topics around the Clippers and, uh, have some fun with it. I haven't dropped a YouTube video in like a week or so, but, uh, it's really just been because it hasn't been a lot going on. I dropped the John Wall one, and then after that, it's like, well, now we're all waiting on KD. But I'll come up with something on there uh, shortly, and if you want to check me out, that'd be great. So I appreciate you having me on, man. Uh, it's been a blast, and, and I'll try to make some time to, to do it again in the near future. Hey, you're a busy man. I'm just glad we are able to make this work. I appreciate you hopping on, Joey. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. So until next time, he's Joey at Joey Lynn underscore. I'm Brandon at BD Marcus. This has been another Ethos Clippers podcast. Until next time. Go Clips.